The following Federal Tax Updates podcast is a bonus episode and is therefore not eligible for CPE or CE. Thanks and enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Federal Tax Updates podcast. This is Roger Harris, and as always, I'm joined by Annie Schwab. Annie, how are you doing today? Hey, Roger. I'm doing great. I'm doing really well. How about yourself? Not bad. Not bad. Getting, We're filming this, right, heading into the holidays, so I'm sure we're all wondering why we're working when everybody else is taking time <laughs> off and right. shopping for Christmas. So we're really excited today. We have a special guest, uh, Megan Killilan from NAEA is joining us today, and we are really excited to have Meg with us. And Meg, welcome to our podcast. Thank you, Roger. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here, and uh, nice to meet you, Annie. You too. Welcome. Yeah, Meg and I go back a little ways. Well, I go back farther than Meg, let me be very <laughs> honest, but but we're, we're very excited to have her here. Meg, talk a little bit about your background, then we'll talk a little bit about NAEA, because you've been with NAEA now, what, a couple of years? It's been three years. Three years? Three years. Wow. Uh, next month will be my three-year anniversary. So, you oh, know, I wow. switched jobs in the middle of a pandemic, you know, as one does. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Great. So how long before you saw anybody in person that you worked with? It was several months. I mean, probably like six months I until I actually physically went into the office and met some of the team. So, yeah, everything was completely virtual in the beginning. So that was that right. was definitely a learning curve and an interesting experience. Talk yeah. Diff- different way to start a job. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, and you came, where'd you come from when you came to NAEA? So my background is uh, mostly in nonprofit and association management. Um, uh, right. right before I was at NAEA, I actually worked for a state CPA association. And okay. I worked there for just over 18 years. So long oh, wow. time working with tax and accounting professionals. Um, I do not have a tax and accounting background, though. Um, mostly, you know, on the on the management side and uh, some marketing and things like that. But, uh, but I've learned a lot over the years. You still wouldn't want me doing your tax return, but, uh, <laughs> but I have, you got have, a lot of people, members that can do exactly, that. Exactly. I have people for that. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so I, I joined NAEA in January of 2021 um, as the executive vice president, um, you know, just going through a lot of change with the pandemic and, um, you know, just trying to figure out what was going to be next for the organization in terms of how we were going to help our members, you know, get through such a difficult time and um, and then recover from that and what, what was going to stick because a lot of things changed during that time, the way members interact with the organization, the way they're interacting with each other, how they learn, the way that they're consuming information and you know, it's uh, we live in this digital world, but I think the pandemic just really thrust a lot of people into the digital world that maybe weren't quite ready. So um, so we've been kind of evolving through that uh, since that time. Yeah, I think we're all still learning yeah. how, to, how we do so much more now. True, true. Uh, yeah. virtually than we ever did before. You know, it's interesting you mentioned you weren't an accounting and tax person. I think sometimes people confuse if you run an organization like NAEA that you need to know how to prepare a tax return. But running an organization of EAs is a lot different than being an EA. And I think, you know, your skills are suited for running the organization 
not necessarily running a firm that prepares tax returns. Yes, definitely. It's, um, you know, volunteer management, strategic planning, um, you know, oversight, the operational piece of the organization. So managing all the personnel and I review our tax return. I don't do it, but uh, but I <laughs> yeah. definitely yeah. touch it and see it and make sure everything looks good. Um, but yeah, it's more the operational administrative side of, of running, you know, running an association, running a nonprofit. Um, but we have a really, really exceptionally dedicated group of volunteers that serve on our board, that serve on our committees. Um, they are just re- very involved in, in the organization and are really what makes the, you know, makes things happen. Um, the team is here to support them, but you know, the members are, are highly involved in, in what's going on from a strategy standpoint um, and what we're doing from an advocacy standpoint. All those things, they're really instrumental in, in making sure that happens. Well, and I guess that's a balance between you've got full-time staff mm-hmm. and you've got volunteers and um, staff is permanent, volunteers change. Yeah. I guess that's some of the challenges that yeah. that you have a turnover in the volunteers. I guess is all of it annually or is it two years? How often does the volunteers turn over? So we turn over um, a handful of people on our board every year. So we actually, we okay. just finished the election for um, going into 2024 uh, yesterday, the results were released. So, um, so we have a new oh. slate of uh, board board of directors coming in. They'll start their their roles in June. Uh, really excited for this this group. They're you know they're passionate. They're excited. They're they've got great ideas. So, um, so yeah, the continuity of the staff is there, and that's wonderful to keep things moving. How big are y'all? We have twelve How staff is- members, and uh, we have just over gotcha. eight thousand members. So, um, so we've, we've got, it's that's a, it's a smaller than I thought. But, I, um, well, yeah. but a large group, that's, yeah. that's a yeah. lot of people to uh, keep happy, right? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. But the nice thing about the turnover is you get new, new ideas, fresh ideas, new perspectives mm-hmm. so that we can make sure we're constantly evolving and meeting the needs of, of our members because, you know, they're living in a world and working in a world that's constantly changing as well. Yeah. Can that be difficult? I mean, is it maybe it doesn't happen this way that you just all of a sudden have a new group of volunteers come in and turn around and go in the complete opposite direction of where you're going? <laughs> How do you keep things the momentum kind of going through the momentum, like Annie's point, so that you're not just spending a year and then starting over? Uh-huh. That's a great question, and that I think that's a that's a challenge for a lot of associations, especially because there is the turnover and you have members that come in that, you know, ha- maybe have ideas or have special projects. But the big thing is just keeping the board forward looking and keeping them focused on our larger strategies. What are our priorities and how are we going to get there? So we, one of the things that we did soon after I came on board was uh, update our strategic plan. So we're now in the third year of our three-year strategic plan, and we'll be going through that process again over the summer to review where we are and where we want to go in the next three years and make adjustments for that. But making sure you have that sort of um, that guideline, that that roadmap of a strategic plan helps everybody sort of stay on track, stay prioritized and make sure that we're not chasing after too many, any, you know, too many squirrels. Um, So 
but it, it definitely takes, you know, some, you know, management of expectations and, and volunteers and making sure that they're trained and aware and, and know what their role is as a board member. Um, so what's top priority right now? If you had to pick one of the yeah. strategic items, I should say, what would you say? I mean, membership's definitely a top priority and probably not a big surprise for a membership organization. Right, right. Um, right. But, you know, the the nature of associations has changed so much in the last decade or so. Just the advent of online learning and um, everybody interacting online and, you know, a lot of the things that the associations were providing are now being provided by a lot of other sources. So trying to maintain our relevancy um, and mm-hmm. keep that community together. Um, the one thing that hasn't changed, though, is advocacy. I mean, NAEA was formed in 1972 um, as the organization that would advocate for enrolled agents um, and was the first one to do so. We're still the only one that's for enrolled agents. We do have state affiliates at the state level, um, mm-hmm. NAEA at the national level. So. Um, so that's a big part of what we do to make sure that we're promoting and protecting the credential um, at the national level, but also at the state level in conjunction with our state affiliates. Yeah, because there's been some some pretty hefty battles, mm-hmm. particularly on the state level, of what an EA could call themselves and what could they do and things like that. And And I think an organization like yours is probably why you've been successful or the the industry or the EA group has been successful in, in defending you know, their ability to, to do what the law intended mm-hmm. for you to it's do. It's true. There's been quite a few times when there's been um, either outright infringement or the threat of an infringement on an EA's right to practice um, at the local le- level, at the state level. Um, as recently as tw- 2022, we, um, we helped enact legislation in Minnesota that um, exempted enrolled agents from the state's restricted debt settlement service provider mm-hmm. regulations. Um, you know, they were set forth for a particular reason. It was a consumer protection issue and just enrolled agents got kind of wrapped into that. Um, it was kind of unintended consequences. But it took several years and uh, lots of money and lots of time to make sure that we were able to get our enrolled agents exempt from that. Um, and ultimately, we were successful. Wow. Right. Yeah, no, it was, I remember when mm-hmm. that was going on. I mean, you've talked about that, but what else? I mean, I'm a, I'm a practitioner somewhere in the <laughs> United States. Uh, I assume I have to be an enrolled agent to be a member. I guess let me qualify first. Do I have to be an enrolled agent to be a member, or is there a place for a non enrolled agent? We, um, we have associates as well. Um, you do not okay. need to be an enrolled agent to be an associate. And we actually have quite a few of them. And that community is, that segment of membership has been growing a little bit in the last few Interesting. years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. so I'm a associate or I'm an EA. Talk a little bit about what else besides the advocacy as it related to protecting what else, uh, what's your elevator pitch, I guess, for, uh, <laughs> NAEA in terms of that practitioner's why should I join NAEA? Because there's six, eight organizations that say they represent the practitioner community. That's true. So yeah. what's what what does NAEA do that our listeners need to be aware okay. of? Um, I mean, the big thing is the protection and promotion of the enrolled agent credential. 
It's, um, you know, there are about 65,000 enrolled agents and um, it's, it's slowly growing awareness um, as more people are hiring um, tax professionals and, and looking for someone that has specific licensing and, um, you know, specific tax expertise. They're looking for someone that, um, that they can trust and rely on. So, you know, being an enrolled agent is an important factor to consider when looking to hire, hire a tax practitioner um, or a CPA or anyone that has, you know, that has the background of being educated and licensed and trained in, in these things. Um, you know, as an association, we are a community of um, professionals. And one of the things that's always impressed me about the tax community in particular is it's such a peer-driven community where there's always colleagues, peers helping peers. It's because, you know, so many of our members are sole practitioners. They're in small firms. So, Mm -hmm. you know, their NAEA group is really like their work colleagues and they rely on each other Mm -hmm. to help answer questions and, you know, bounce things off of. We have a, a web board for members that's very active and, you know, great. our members are really willing to give of their expertise and their time to help each other. And, and I, and I think that's just a kind of the special sauce of NAEA is that, is that community and how, how well connected our members are. And you do a really good job. I know you offer a lot of education mm-hmm. uh, for, for members, which we, we all need. Yeah. And, and that's something that, and, and we'll talk a little bit about advocacy on Capitol Hill, mm-hmm. because I know you, you do a lot of that, too. But, Annie, talk a little bit about, I mean, Annie's a CPA, and we have to be careful that we're not trying to say CPA, EA, one's better, one's not better. It really comes down to the person, mm-hmm. not the For letters sure. behind their name. But, Annie, talk a little bit about in our group how we kind of break down. I think we probably are, what? Majority EAs. The majority are EAs for sure. Um, We do have quite a few CPAs, um, but I think the trend is more the EA route. I don't know if you're seeing your numbers go up. I feel like the CPA numbers are going down. So I don't know if if that just makes it a little bit more comparable. But, um, you know, there's education differences, there's differences in, in, what you can do as a practitioner. Um, but I don't think one is better than the other. I think it just depends on the person, the industry they want to be in, the type of work that they want to do in that field. Um, and I and I think, you know, both have regulations to make sure that they maintain education and knowledge and, you know, Circular 230 and all of these things that um, protect the industry from bad actors or others holding themselves out there um, to be a professional. Yeah, I think if you really look in the tax world, mm-hmm. I mean, and CPAs have a lot of authority to do things sure. in the audit field and things like that. But if you focus just on the tax world, um, I guess there's not a whole lot of difference, Megan, between a CPA and an EA in, in that world, uh, really. No, no. I mean, yeah, I, w- I would agree with Annie. It's not It's not a, a one is better than the other. It's really just what. what's your special area? Why do you want to practice? What do you mm-hmm. want to... What do you want to focus on? Um, obviously, CPAs can, you know, do attestation work. EAs don't do that kind of work. Um, right. um, but EAs, tax attorneys, CPAs can all represent taxpayers mm-hmm. in front of the IRS. You know, that's 
That's a big reason why any tax pr- practitioner should really consider getting the enrolled agent license. Yeah. Um, because it's a, you know, a big way to expand your practice and better serve your clients and just be more knowledgeable about the system in general, having, having that, that level of service. Um, but yeah, it's, it, we're definitely seeing a lot of changes in the tax and accounting world. For um, sure. You know, th- yeah. I know there's been, shifts in uh, in the CPA and accounting majors and all that. Um, there's, you know, lots of reasons we could probably do a whole podcast on that issue. Um, yeah, we could. <laughs> well, and it keeps changing. It's completely yeah, different yeah. from when I, when I took the exam. That was four parts. You took it all at one time in person. Now yeah. it's online and you can take this one or that one. And, you know, it's it's just, it is a different um, type of environment. But like you said, none that's better than the other. So right, right, really... Yeah. yeah, I think CPA has the brand. I mean, people yeah, just exactly. use that term. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I've you can be called a CPA when you're not. Mm-hmm. Of course. Because, but I doubt anybody is called an EA that's not, you know, because that's probably the biggest challenge for, for the EA. I'm not saying NAEA, but the EA as a whole is that name just doesn't resonate. The designation. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, you, you'll get asked by a lot of people, are you a CPA? When they don't even know why they're asking <laughs> yeah. the question, but yeah. they'll ask. Yeah. Um, and you say you're an EA and they look at you like, well, what is that? Mm-hmm. So that's, but that's not, I mean, it's partly EA's, uh, in EA's challenge, but it's the challenge for the, every EA that's out there is their brand is just not as strong as CPAs. Mm-hmm. And so, but when it comes to the tax world, you know, it really, I said this all along, it comes down to, how good you are as a person. Mm-hmm. You can put letters behind anybody and that can make them really good or really bad. Right, right. And it, the awareness issue is definitely a big one, but it's also a numbers issue. I mean, there's what, 200 yeah. and some thousand CPAs out there in the in the workforce and, you know, 60 some thousand EAs. So there's just more, more of them. And, right. um, and, and you're right. It really does come down to the person and their, their level of expertise and professionalism and, and their client services. So, you know, if you're looking for a tax professional, you can't go wrong with either one. That's how no, I feel too. I guess the biggest challenge, <laughs> I, mean, maybe, I may be wrong, but it would seem to me if I'm kind of 10 years into my work life and I decide I want to go into the tax and accounting industry, it's going to be hard to go back and recreate on my education to become a CPA quickly, whereas the EA gives me a quicker path. To, to enter the industry if that's of interest to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which it could be, you know, we keep talking like these are all firm owners. we got to remember we're hiring people. Absolutely. Too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think, you know, there's a big talent gap at, at firms, um, in, in accounting firms and tax and accounting firms across the country. I mean, we've probably all been reading a lot about that in the last couple of years. Um, and it, there's definitely, um, you know, EAs out there that can fill that void, that can fill that talent gap in a lot of these firms. So, you know, we've been trying to get out there and talk to more to community college students and high school graduates and encourage them to consider becoming an enrolled agent because it is, you know, it's a it's a it's a quicker way to a credential. You still have to go through, you know, the the exam. It's a three part exam. It's not easy. Um, but with the no. right preparation, you can pass it. Um, you know, it's always better to have maybe a little bit of experience under your belt, but not necessary. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and, and there's, you know, I think for a long time, the enrolled agent was a second career option for those leaving IRS service or people just kind of changing careers midlife for whatever Switching reason. Years. <laughs> yeah. I hear a lot of that, but I kind of yeah. think that's changing a little bit. Um, when I, you know, when I'm out at events or, you know, I'm at the tax forums over the summer and just kind of mm-hmm. looking at the, at the, uh, you know, the group of people that's there, it's such a wide range of ages and backgrounds. And yep. I mean, it's a super diverse profession. And I think there's so much mm-hmm. opportunity there, both for hiring firms, as well mm-hmm. as individuals who are looking for, you know, for that type of, of role. Um, you know, that that's what they're looking for. They're not interested in being an entrepreneur or working for themselves or, or some other scenario, there's definitely work out there for enrolled agents oh, in yeah. a lot of other places. Hiring is very mm-hmm. difficult for our offices, for the industry in, in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I definitely can see that. And, you know, education is so expensive, that fifth year for, you know, mm-hmm. being getting the education to sit for the CPA exam. I mean, a whole, that's a whole nother year. That's a whole nother, you know, to payments of large tuition dollars and, you know, the exam right. itself. Um, so it's, you know, if if you're looking for, like you said, maybe a faster way to get into the industry and still do the job that you have, you know, interested in doing, then I think EA is a great path, um, especially like you said, just coming out of school, maybe testing the waters career-wise, uh, you know, going go that path makes makes a lot of sense. It's also one of the things, and, and you can comment how often we see this, but I know we've seen it. If you have a someone working for you who's just came to you really looking for a job, right? but they really get excited about what they're doing and want to better themselves, the EA credential is doable. Oh, so yeah. you can take someone who came in and say, well, look, I want to help you advance mm-hmm. in your career and advance in this firm. The EA path is a very doable path. It's kind of hard to say, well, I need you to go back. I need you to go back to college. I need you to do right, all this. Right. And, and, and then I've got to probably have you intern somewhere else before you can come back as a seat. So it's a great way to take that employee who, by working in your firm, realize this is something that I want to do. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a path for them, Annie. I think we've seen that happen in some of our firms. We definitely do. And even, um, you know, we get questions all the time about who should I be looking for? How can I find these hires? You know, I need someone with this amount of education, this amount of experience, um, the willingness and the drive and, and, and all of the above and all of that, an EA fits all of that. Um, and so, you know, forcing yourself, you know, to go out for CPA or to look specifically for CPA, you're really limiting yourself and your resources in a time when we just can't be, you know, it's hard to find quality employees now. Um, especially in that industry. So yeah. there's been a significant decline of, of CPAs um, and even in college students, you know, coming out, choosing finance over accounting or choosing marketing over, you know, accounting. Accounting doesn't really sound so fun, <laughs> I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe, maybe it's that we get a bad rap for being, you know, a bunch of nerdy accountants. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, it is, it is a, a great career path. And if you can make that, more achievable, um, less expensive, then I think we've really got something there. Yeah. Megan, we've talked a lot about different 
you know, that it comes down to the person <laughs> to be who you are. I know something that's big at NAEA, it's big at Paget is this desire to regulate tax return preparers because they're not all equal. Mm -hmm. You know, that's okay if the upper end, if they're all good, but unfortunately at the bottom end when they're all bad. Talk about why it's important to NAEA and some of the things that you guys, because I know you guys have been very active in that. and We got close a couple of times, but we still haven't been able to, to get over the line. Yeah, there definitely have been some close ones, but it's still high on your priority list um, from an advocacy standpoint. I mean, not a lot of people know, like, anyone can be paid to prepare a tax return. Right. I mean, I've talked to legislators that weren't fully aware of that, uh, which is a little concerning. But, you know, that it's led to, like, a lack of oversight. And there's so many, there are bad actors out there and unscrupulous um, preparers and and it's, it's, it's a big problem, especially when more and more people are seeking assistance in something that's really important. And you, know, you think about when you, you go to the doctor and there's that, you know, confidentiality and you just trust that they know what they're doing. And, you know, you want the same thing with your taxes and your money. Like this is, you know, mm-hmm. this is just important to make sure that you're using someone that's qualified to assist you. Um, you know, the GAO has done a couple studies and found that, um, you know, unlicensed preparers commit more errors than any other tax preparers. I'm sure that's not a surprise, but there's actual right. data well, that supports that. Yeah. So, you know, we are advocating that, you know, any paid tax return preparer should, you know, obviously they have to have their PTIN, but they should at least be uh, have to pass some basic exam. Um, and fulfill continuing education requirements and complete a background check. You know, just some basic minimum basic, things to yeah. make sure that's not that too much to ask. <laughs> yeah, we're just protecting taxpayers, just like all the yeah. other, you know, consumer protection out there. It's very similar um, in that we want to make sure that, you know, you're hiring someone that, that knows what they're doing and is, is trustworthy. So, mm-hmm. um, so I mean, you're sharing very private, exactly. very you know, data that you don't want to get out. I mean, identity theft is crazy. I mean, all, I mean, poor ERC. Roger, we got to say ERC mm-hmm. at least once on this <laughs> yeah. podcast, right? Yeah. But, That's right. You know, we haven't made one without it. It's, <laughs> but, you know, yeah. the criminals are getting smarter and smarter. And um, you certainly want to make sure when you're sharing your, your financial data, your social security number, your, you know, all of this very private information that you can trust the person that you're sharing it with. Um, yeah, you mentioned legislatures probably don't know that people are. I've had a lot of c- customers that go in to get their taxes prepared assume oh. that the person they're talking to has to d- have done something to be qualified <laughs> yes. to do it yes. yeah. other than buy a computer. I mean, literally, mm-hmm. if you've got enough money to buy, well, you don't, I guess you don't have to buy a computer, but it would be better if you did. Yeah. But, I mean, so you could just pop up and, and we still That really should be That's a that might. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that should be a sign, but, but you know. But I think I think clients think that everybody that's you know that we have some uh, required education to take or some required license to have, and the reality is you don't. Mm -hmm. Now you do in some states. I mean, I don't want to throw a blanket over the whole country. Some states regulate it, and it's frustrating because I know we've at Paget have worked hard on it. We feel just like NAEA does that. You know, in fact, I'm going to and I'm, I'm not going to use the name because I'm afraid I'll say the wrong person. But I happened to be at a hearing many, many years ago when one of the NAEA's members was testifying and said something that has kind of become the 
buzzword for everybody that's in favor of regulating return preparers is that the person who cuts your hair has to have a license, but the person who prepares your taxes doesn't. Mm. And most people would not believe that to be true, but it is. You're right, yeah. And, the, and, and everything is so complex, too. I mean, and just getting yeah. more complicated. And you mm-hmm. mentioned ERC. I mean, think about that alone, you know, has created such so much fraud and issues and I, I won't be surprised if there's a lot of unlicensed preparers that will be kind of linked back to, to that as well when when the, when that data is is studied. That, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because the one thing that I've said for years is the tax system suffers equally between ignorance and intent. And so having people who don't know the rules breaking them is no better than people knowingly breaking them. And yet we somehow ignore the fact that education isn't important and yet the cost of the tax system if they do things improperly is huge so we're in we're in board with you meg we're going to keep fighting until <laughs> this finally gets done like i said we've gotten close but we're not there yet but it's hard to argue against it except some people are just against regulations in, in general. general and think that we need to be in a more unregulated society. And I generally agree with that, but sometimes there's just certain things that you need to make sure the person you're dealing with is qualified. Right, right. Well, we mm-hmm. are in motion to get legislation presented soon. Fantastic. Hopefully. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Representative Jimmy, Jimmy Panetta from California has, uh-huh. you know, has agreed to sponsor legislation. Um, we're just now work, working on getting a co-sponsor whenever we can get some, get something going with Congress, whenever that's going to be, uh, yeah. we will, you know, we'll, we'll be ready. So, um, so things are in motion and, you know, hopefully this time around we'll be more successful. I think that there's a lot more data and a lot more um, circumstances that are bringing this to a critical point where, there might be a bit more support, less, maybe less concern about overregulation and more concern about protecting taxpayers. Um, oh because that's, right. you know, that's certainly a big, a big issue for the IRS as well. Yeah. Well, I will say this. Uh, we go on the Hill a good bit at Paget, and the two groups that you will always know have been there uh, is AICPA and NAEA. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying other groups aren't there. But I will say those are the two groups that are there on a consistent basis. And I think while there may be slight differences in what regulation means to AICPA, then NAEA, then NSA, then NATP, NSTP, all of us agree on the concept. Correct. Yes. Yeah, we're know, all working so, up towards the same goals here. Yeah. Well, and it's the right goal. Mm-hmm. Let's hope the new year brings us some progress and some yeah. you know, baby steps, well, you know. Getting way. anything through Congress it's gonna, I is know. a challenge. Yes, it is. Yes, <laughs> you know? it, is. So, it is. So, you know, we, we'll see. So I, I think it's like a lot of things. There's probably more people supporting it than not in capital, um, Congress and Senate, yeah. but that doesn't mean it's going to pass or right. ever get a vote. But we're going to keep trying, right? Yep. And I know, I know you're right there with us, Roger. <laughs> we, we're we're going to be there trying to get it done. Before we go, Megan, if people want to learn more about NAEA, get in touch with NAEA, what's the best way for someone who's listening to this that wants to learn more uh, to reach out to NAEA? So our website is naea.org. 
um, and you can go on the website. You can find my contact information on there. You can find contact information for our board and our president. Uh, more than happy to talk to anyone who would like to learn more about the organization, learn more about the enrolled agent credential. Um, I do want to give just a quick plug to our education foundation as well. We do offer hmm. scholarships for individuals oh. who are looking to take the EA exam. We offer CPREP, uh, the special enrollment exam preparation right. course scholarships, as nice. well as scholarships to help cover the cost of taking the exam. Um, it costs just over $600 now to mm -hmm. take the exam, um, which, you know, it's not a ton, but it's, it's a lot for someone just starting out in their career. Yeah. Right. Um, right. so we, uh, we, we have two application windows for scholarships in the year. We just closed our fall winter window and we'll be opening up the next one right after busy season in April. Good to know. Right, so you help them get in and you help them after they're exactly. in. Exactly. Lots of education opportunities with NAEA. We have our federal tax updates coming up. Um, we have our congressional fly-in in May, which is a lot of fun and really great right. opportunity to advocate and get involved in, you know, one of the key things that we do as an organization. And once you join, you have a pack, and so you That's can contribute right. to that we as do. well. We That's right. Pack. <laughs> we have a pack. We're really close to our fundraising goal for 2023. Oh, wonderful! It's just a few, you know, 11, 11 days. I was ago. about to say you don't have much yeah. time, but, <laughs> but we're, we're really. So if close. you're listening, yes. If you're listening and a member and you haven't contributed yet, now you still have time to oh, contribute let's get to, the to pack. that goal. I feel like I'm yep. not public public <laughs> uh, <well>. radio here. <laughs> well. Yeah. Well. Take advantage. Make yes. the final pitch. Yeah. yeah. Annie, any final words? No, this has been great, Megan. It is so fantastic to finally meet you, see Me you. Yeah. Um, and it's been a pleasure. Thank you yeah, for joining yeah. us today. I know our audience is probably enjoying our podcast here. Um, so like us and join us and follow us and tell your friends and all of the above. Um, We'll be back. And Meg, thank you for joining. I'll see you probably next time I'll be in D.C. We run into each other at either IRS meetings yes. or we'll see you at the IRS forums this summer. Yeah. And uh, really appreciate you taking time and joining us today. Thank you. Thank you both. It was great conversation. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for everybody that listened today to our podcast. As Annie said, if you have friends that aren't aware of them, tell them about it. And join us again on a future Federal Tax Updates podcast. Thanks, everybody.